Welcome to church. Very nice to see all you familiar faces. And welcome to December. Now, in a blink of an eye, we are near the end of 2022. I wonder how you all feel about that. I suspect we have a mixture of relief, fatigue, maybe some sadness, but thanksgiving and hopefully some joyful anticipation for what will come next. Now, before we begin our worship service today, I just wanted to give us all an opportunity to take some time to pause and to pray. Let's bring some of those feelings and thoughts that we have about the year before the Lord as we prepare our hearts for worship. So let's um, take some time now to do that. Just close our eyes. Lord God, this has been such a big year in so many ways. No matter how we feel today, we will rejoice in you, our unchanging God. You are faithful beyond all measure and trustworthy through all our days. And so our eyes are on you. May our time together this evening be honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. Yeah. 
where we come together as God's people and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Queen Elizabeth II, she died on the 8th of September 2022 and she has reigned for more than 70 years and there are many people throughout the world where they did not know anyone else on that throne because she's been on that throne in their lifetime. She, her passing represented an end of an era. It represents change. And for some people, that's a bit unsettling, right? Because she represented stability and calmness despite all the controversy that her family was in. And no matter what we want to think about the monarchy, she carried herself with dignity and with calmness. And with her passing, change is coming. So there is a bit of fear. And it is, in some sense, the same for us, where change is coming for us. We recognize as a church, we are in a season of transition. It can be unsettling. It can cause anxiety. 
whether it could be changed in your own personal life as well towards the end of the year where there's a lot of change going on in your own life and that's understandable understandable that we feel fear we feel anxiety we feel um, a bit of unsettledness in our lives because well, we don't know what's going to happen in the future but no matter what it is there is a constant in our lives no matter what happens to us no matter what happens all around us no matter what happens in our world we have one person in the whole universe that is unchanging we have God a good loving faithful God and the God of the Bible is a God who keeps his promises who keeps his word a long time ago he made a promise he made a promise to Abraham that he will be blessed, that all the nations will be blessed through him. That Abraham and his descendants, that God himself will be their God and they will be his people. Let me read from Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. This is what God says. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God made that promise. And throughout their history and the story of the Israelites, despite the fact that they have been disobedient and, and unfaithful, God kept His promise. He rescued them from slavery. He saved them from their enemies through the judges and kings. He brought them back to the land after their exile. God keeps His promises. But the issue of sin keeps coming up. Human beings, we just can't stop sinning. Even after all the great things that God has done for us, sin keeps us apart from God. But God keeps His promises. And so to finally deal with sin, God sent His Son, Jesus, to come here on earth to live the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died so that we can be reconciled to God, so that God can call us His people and we can call Him our God. And that's what we celebrate when we come to Christmas, the coming of this Savior to reconcile us back to God. And when we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's what we are celebrating. We're celebrating a God who keeps His promises in Christ, that no matter what happens in our life, we have this rock-solid certainty. We have a God who loves us and gave us His Son. Communion is God's gift to us. It is God saying to us, He is our God and we are His people. As we just sang, Man of sorrows, silent as Christ stood accused, He took a crown of thorns for us. And that old rugged cross is our salvation. And the Lord's Supper helps us and reminds us of that. Let me read that passage from the Gospels about the Lord's Supper. On the night Jesus was betrayed, when he was eating with his disciples, he took the bread. He gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That is what we're doing right now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you that no matter what happens in our world, in our life, in our country, we have a rock-solid certainty that you have loved us in Christ 
by the power of the Spirit that you are always with us and for us and we praise you for that and this evening as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper may you help us and remind us of that grace and that love and that promise that you are our God that we are your people so Father we ask and pray that you do this for the glory of Jesus in his name we pray Amen so this is an opportunity this evening if you are a Christian to come and celebrate and remember Jesus Christ if you are here and you are not a Christian we ask that you remain seated please don't feel pressured to come and take we are just glad that you're here this evening but it is our prayer that one day you will come and know this Christ let me invite the first few rows to stand up come to the front and receive the elements please hold the bread and a cup we will partake of them together Supper is God proclaiming to us once again His good promise in Jesus. As we take the bread, as we drink the cup, we remember Jesus Christ, His sacrifice, His suffering, the pain and rejection He went through, and eventually dying on a cross for our sins. Our God is a promise keeping God. He is our God. We are His people. This is the body of Christ given to us. Let's take together. And this is the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's drink together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper this evening. May we always remember your gospel promise in Christ. No matter what happens in our world, no matter what happens to us, we know, we know for certain that you love us and have given us your son. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name.
Well, this next one is a song that we haven't sung at Subi before. And it's actually a great one to sing right after sharing communion together. So sing along with us when you are ready. Please stand.
someone before you take a seat. Good evening, everyone. Great to see you here on a Saturday. Thank you also to the worship team for leading us in some songs there. So we've come to a time of scripture at Subi. This week, we get to go through two verses. You have this month's card on your seats. They're the little red cards that look like this. But before we get to this one, let's try and memorize last month's verse together. We ready? Yes. Um, let's go. Psalm 46, verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Great. So let's say the December one together. All right, let's go. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Awesome. Good job. Well, thanks, kids, for joining us. You're now dismissed to go to your Subi Kids classes. And welcome to Subi Church. My name is Kanaina, and I'm a member of staff here at church. We have physical connect cards that are on your seats. You are welcome to fill one in. Everyone is welcome to fill one in, whether you're a regular here or if you're a visitor. Um, this is just to let us know that you've been joining us at church. You can also let us know your prayer requests and you can RSVP to events and inquire about other things as well. So there is a physical copy on your seats. There are also, um, there's also a QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. If you fill in a physical copy, please remember that there are buckets, connect card buckets in the back of the auditorium and also in the foyer. So make sure you drop those in and don't leave them on your chairs. At Subi, Chi uh, at Subi Church, we give offering here. And offerings can be made online. We encourage you to set up a regular giving through your bank. And a little green leaflet like this in the cubby hole in the back of the auditorium will have all the instructions you need to do that online. You can also give a direct giving. There are white envelopes also at the back of the auditorium. So why don't we take a moment to pray for our giving. Father, we thank you for your provision in our lives. We offer these givings to you. And we recognize that we don't have to, but we get to partner with you in this way. And that's a privilege. So may you be glorified and be made known in this world. Amen. A few announcements. First of all, next Sunday on the 11th of December, young adults, we're going to have a Christmas dinner, 6 p.m. in the church cafe. All young adults are invited. Um, two important things. Firstly, bring a friend. Second, come wearing Christmas-themed clothes, whatever that means. <laughs> so there's a small cost of $5 for dinner, and you can RSVP on your Connect card by Friday 9th of December. On Christmas Day, um, each year, Subi Church partners with the city of Subiaco uh, to run a community Christmas lunch, and it's a time uh, where we get to share the love of Christ with people who wouldn't otherwise have anyone to share Christmas Day with. So for this, we're looking for volunteers to help us run this lunch, and we're setting up on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. You can volunteer for either one. And we're looking for volunteers to, um, to help with food prep, with serving lunch, hanging out with the guests, or washing up or packing up. So if that's something you're interested in doing, this is... Um, on Christmas Day, 12.30 to 2.30 p.m., you can let us know in your Connect cards. So with Christmas coming up, we've prepared a set of devotions 
for the Advent season. If you're interested in receiving these devotions, you can also still sign up. Um, these devotionals help us to focus on, on Christ in the lead up to Christmas. And this year's devotional is called A Season of Transition. Circumstances change all the time, just like what Pastor Chin was saying up here during communion, but there's one unchanging constant in the universe, and that's the God that we worship. So please, please let us know on your Connect card if you're interested, and we'll send that to you. Lastly, we have the Subi Youth Summer Camp that's coming up next month on the 13th to the 16th of January. Registrations are now open. It's a great opportunity for high schoolers to build friendships with each other and spend time in God's Word together. Year sixes are also invited to come to that. So for more information, please let us know on your Connect cards. That's all from me. I'll pass this on to Peter. Okay. Hey, Subi Church. My name's Peter. Peter Weisk. I'm one of the elders here. Also just been appointed as the interim executive pastor. And we'll talk more about that next week because um, we're also going to introduce to you the new chairman of the Elder Board. So, um, first of all, about those devotionals, if you're not getting them, please let us know you, that you want them, because they're worth getting. Chin's prepared them, and he's done a great job with it, and they're well worth just focusing on this time of um, coming into Christmas. So, avail yourself of that wonderful resource. I'm going to talk to you about the Ukraine um, Christmas Appeal. Now, this is a Christmas love offering that we do every year. We, um, it's not always to the Ukraine, but we do a love offering of some sort to a mission organisation, and uh, we want to support a gospel-focused mission organisation. And in the past, um, what we do is the, the opportunity is to give over the month of December and um, as we go into Christmas, and it helps us to focus on giving and being a part of God's kingdom somewhere else and what God's doing. So in previous years, we've, um, we've supported Fresh Start, so um, that's a mission right here, and George O'Neill, who heads it up, goes to our church. We've also um, supported Compassion and many other missions. And uh, this year, early this year, back in February, April, when the Ukraine um, crisis started, um, there were a lot of refugees. You may remember that we actually um, had an opportunity to give to that um, to the church. It's actually the uh, International Church of Bucharest that's in Romania. And um, we had an opportunity to give to that. Well, what we're going to do is uh, do that again for this Christmas um, appeal. Now, that actual mission or that opportunity is um, facilitated by the pastor. His name is Bill Tully and his wife, Natty. That's an international church. So I guess they have um, um, Romanians there, but a lot of international people there. And they're really focusing on ministering to refugees. In the past, it was getting the refugees just fed, getting them clothed, getting them into accommodation. But now there's lots of NGOs doing that. So what they're focusing on right now is purchasing medicine and food and also things like wood because, of course, coming into wintertime, they need fuel for the fires and electricity is off and so to help people who are in Ukraine. They're also um, resourcing the, to refuel the vehicles that go back and forth between um, the city of Bucharest and the border, taking things to the border, also taking refugees back and such. And then lastly, they're focusing on equipping the pastors and the church leaders, particularly in Moldova. Now, if you know your geography, you know, Moldova is between Romania and Ukraine, and they have a lot of refugees there, and there's a lot of needs there. And the pastors and other church leaders are ministering to these refugees and have the giving, the giving of the little resources they have, and they need more resources. So that's what this is going to. 
you have an opportunity to give. You go um, online. Do we have the... Um, and what you do have is this. There you go, on your chair. And on there is the, um, the website where you can give. So take that with you and let's give generously this year to this mission. Now we've got a, um, a special person who used to be at Subi Church. Her name's Nicole Cooper. She used to come here some years ago and um, I think you've been introduced to her before when we did that last Giving Appeal in February. And she um, is with this mission that's coming from the church and she has a message for us as Subi Church, particularly for us, and we're going to see that now. I wanted to say, first of all, thank you for your love. I really appreciate and love the body of Christ that we are and how how much Subi has been able to, to minister to our church and the community here. So first of all, thank you so much for, for all of that. The war started in February. And uh, to be honest with you, March was awful. <laughs> it was really, really chaotic. There weren't organizations here and facilities set up to support people fleeing a, a war in our country. Um, so we were sort of that stopgap to, to fill, fill those immediate needs with accommodation, with food, with travel, uh, just figuring things out. Um, things have changed a lot since then. There are a lot of organizations here that have set up longer term accommodation that are better prepared to support refugees in a lot of ways that that we couldn't and so we can focus more on the ministry side of things rather than on just meeting immediate physical needs we there is still a need to meet some of those immediate physical needs uh through some of the refugee centers that we that we are in contact with and we are supporting but it's a lot more long term. Uh, we have a lot more notice. We can plan, uh, we can budget, and we can respond to those needs with a, a bit more thought. Donations are always welcome. So we are supporting um, pastors and ministers in both Moldova and Ukraine. So there are two Ukrainian churches that we partner with and we're supporting here. There are Ukrainian refugee centers that we support here with donations, uh, with clothes, with food, etc. And then also in Moldova and Ukraine, we are we are supplying money for fuel and for food and for wood uh, there to help people get through the winter because a lot of the supply chains have been cut off or severely disrupted. Our church has changed a lot since the start of the war. We've really come together in a way that I've never seen before where the whole body of Christ is serving together. We're supporting each other. We're praying for each other. We're helping each other. We're asking for things and people are, yeah, I can do that or I can do that. And everybody's involved and connected. And it's it's amazing to see how we can come together to really make an impact for Christ. There's a lot of terrible things that have come out of the war, but there there have been a lot of really unexpected blessings as well. If you are interested in coming to Romania, please reach out to me. Let me know. Be happy to help you organize that. Thanks, Ubi. This week's Bible reading is taken from Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came, from, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Good evening. Great to see you. If you're watching online, good evening to you. Some people hate Christmas. Do you know anyone like that? A friend of mine was driving around Christmas time up near Thomas Street. He stopped at the lights. A guy jumps out and starts to clean his windscreen. Now, my mate thought that his windscreen was already pretty clean, but this guy had decided, no, it wasn't, and it needed a clean. And as he was cleaning my mate's windscreen, he was singing a Christmas carol. Oh, come, let us ignore him. Right? Instead of, oh, come, let us adore him, he was singing, oh, come, let us ignore him. Well, he finished cleaning the windscreen, uh, and he held his hand out for some money. And my friend looked at him and said, Oh, come, let us ignore him, and drove off without giving him any money. Now, it's not really much of a Christmas spirit, is it? Do you know anyone who hates Christmas? There's a guy who hated Christmas so much, he would take a week of holidays off, the week before Christmas, he would take the week off holidays, tell everyone at work that he was, had gone away, and so he couldn't attend any of the Christmas functions, but really, he was just at home, having an undisturbed, grinchy Christmas. Well, today I want to talk about someone who hated Christmas. This guy hated Christmas more than the real Grinch. I think we've got a picture, right? Who tried to steal Christmas. The guy I want to talk about today hated Christmas more than Ebenezer Scrooge, who we know despised Christmas. The guy that I want to talk about today hated Christmas more than Scrooge and the Grinch combined. And he not only wanted to steal Christmas, he wanted to kill Christmas. He wanted to kill the first Christmas before Christmas was even Christmas. He tried to kill the baby Jesus. He tried to kill King Jesus while he was in the manger. Now, you're not going to see any Christmas cards with this scene on it. And you won't see this scene in the kids' nativity play, I hope. The man's name was King Herod. And today, the spirit of Herod lives on. 2,000 years 
after Herod, the spirit of Herod lives on. There are people today who are offended by Jesus. Even by the mere mention of his name. There are those who want to erase every trace of Christmas from public life. And across the globe, this Christmas, there will be people who will be persecuting Christians and killing Christians. Why does the spirit of Herod live on 2,000 years later? Because the question that we heard in our Bible reading this evening, where is the true king? See, that is the most disturbing question to the human heart. The meaning of Christmas is that Jesus is the saviour of the world and he is the king of the world. And if he's the king of the world, that means he's king over every person on the planet. And that triggers deep resistance within people's hearts. Inside every person, there's a little Herod who wants to rule. How is this true of you? And how does God deal with the Herods of our world? That's what we're going to be looking at this evening. Before we do that, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for two things. We're going to pray for our Christianity Explored course, which we've just finished last week. Uh, and I just want to thank all those that were involved with that, those who catered. I have sent you a message, but I also want to say publicly thank you for those who have catered. Uh, we've seen people become Christian during our course. We've seen people come now to church because of the course and people inviting. So thank you for that. We're going to pray for them in a moment. We're also going to pray for our Christmas services. And I'm going to pray for our, the, the Ukrainian uh, relief appeal. So why don't you join me as we pray for these things. Father in heaven, we thank you for Christmas and the message of salvation that we can involve ourselves in this month of December. Thank you for that Christmas message, for salvation at Christmas. And we thank you, Lord, for the recent Christianity Explored course. I thank you for all those that helped, the caterers, the evangelists, the organisers, the teachers. And we thank you that we saw people come to know you and come to join our church. And I pray, Lord, that you'll keep working in, their, in the hearts of those who came. And that you keep drawing them to yourself. Those, Lord, that came but yet haven't made a decision to follow you, I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to draw them near to you. And they would make that commitment. I pray, Lord, for this month of December and for our Christmas services. I do pray, Father, that we might be able to be sharing the hope of Christmas to those around us that don't have that same hope. I pray, Lord, for our Christmas services that you might bless them, that we might have lots and lots of visitors that might come to hear the saving message of Christmas. And Father, we do pray for the International Church of Bucharest. We thank you for Nicole Cooper and the team there, Pastor Tilly and Natty, and I just ask, Lord, that their endeavours might Show the love of Christ to many and as people experience the love of Christ, they might be drawn to Christ and they might find new life 
And so in this terrible situation in the Ukraine, you might bring good out of it. And we know, Lord, that you love to do that, to bring good out of bad. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that. Please be with us this evening as we look at this passage together. Please, Lord, Lord, stir our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read the second part of chapter 2 together. It should be on the screen behind me. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Please be seated. We're just going to watch a brief video for the next minute or so. Ancient world. A powerful king, he ruled the land of Judea for over 30 years. His legacy includes fine architecture and impressive engineering. But it's the killing of the children that has earned Herod his reputation as a tyrant. Matthew explains in his gospel how the crime took place. Travelers from the east journeyed to King Herod's palace in Jerusalem. Matthew calls them wise men. They had seen a star a sign that a new king of the Jews had been born. This news troubled Herod. He was king of the Jews. Herod's high priest warned him of a prophecy that a king would be born in the town of Bethlehem. Herod asked the wise men to return and tell him where the child was. Warned in a dream, the wise men secretly made their way home by a different route. When the wise men didn't return, Herod flew into an uncontrollable rage. According to the Bible, he had planned to kill Jesus and had failed. 
Herod ordered the killing of every child in Bethlehem under the age of two. there was at least one boy who escaped. Joseph and Mary had taken their son and fled to Egypt. The Christmas carol says that three kings came to Jesus. The Bible calls them magi. They were pagans involved in magic, sorcery, uh, even the occult. How many magi were there? We're not told. We, are, we assume there were three because they brought three gifts. Could have been four. One could have been really cheap, not brought a gift. We're not told. They came from the east, probably from the pagan nations of Arabia or Persia. And they traveled all the way across the desert to Jerusalem on camels. It would have taken weeks, perhaps months. Anyone been on a camel? Yeah? Is it comfortable? Are they fast? These guys came all the way from Persia to Jerusalem. Who would have, if, if the only mode of transport for you today were to come to church was a camel, would you have come? Right? These guys really believed something big was happening. The Magi brought into the court of King Herod. Herod was the family name for a dynasty of leaders that governed Israel around the time of Christ. Now, there are six Herods in the Bible, which is why it gets confusing. You think, gee, Herod's, Herod's everywhere, but there are six of them. And the Herod of the Christmas story is known as Herod the Great. Uh, it may have looked something like this. Herod the Great was appointed by the Romans to be ruler over Jerusalem, Judea, in order to pacify the Jews. The problem was, Herod was an Edomite, who were the ancestors of Esau. And the Edomites had been in conflict with the Jews ever since when? Esau and Jacob. And they hated each other. Despite this, the Roman Senate named Herod the king of the Jews. And how do you think that went down with the Jews? They regarded that as an incredible insult, and so they were never reconciled to Herod's rule, and so there was conflict. Now, Herod was a cruel and capricious king. Now, that is an understatement. He would brutally kill anyone who he thought was a threat to his hold on power. He had his own wife killed because he thought she might be a threat to his hold on power. He had his three eldest sons killed. Caesar Augustus, he, he, he even commented, this is what Caesar Augustus said, it is safer to be Herod's sow than his son. Because he didn't eat pork, his pig was safer than his son. As Herod lay dying, he rounded up all the leading men of Israel and he, had, and he ordered that they would be killed when he died so that 
every family would be forced to mourn when he died. One ancient writer dubbed him the malevolent maniac. But the the Magi, they don't know any of this. They they just come into the palace. And they ask Herod this in verse 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now how these sorcerers came to interpret a star as indicating the birth of the Messiah, we're not told. And it's intriguing that God would use a star to guide the Magi because in the Old Testament, God forbade his people to use astrology. Because astrology thumbs its nose at God because God guides us in his word, not through the stars. So it's intriguing that he would use that to bring them to Jesus. Now, Matthew's not saying, hey, astrology's okay. Now, you know, go check your star signs. No, the point is that God is a God of mercy, and he wants to draw people to himself, and he'll even draw pagans to himself through godless astrology because he's a God of mercy, and he wants to save people. Now, when King Charles was born, was there a star that shone over his crib? No. When our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, was born, was there a star that shone over his crib? No. This is no ordinary child. This child has cosmic significance. We read in verse 3, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was enraged. See, when you come into the palace and you ask the guy sitting on the throne, where is the true king? That's not going to go down too well, is it? Especially when it's someone like Herod. Herod recognizes that the birth of this child threatens his hold on power. King of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. And so he concocts a plan to eliminate this threat. See, he now knows the information that he needs. He knows where the child is born, Bethlehem. He now knows when the child was born, the approximate time from the Magi. So he thinks to himself, I'm going to eliminate this rival to my throne just as I've eliminated every other rival that's come before me. And so you see, you've got the king of the Edomites wanting to kill the king of Israel. That conflict continues, just like the prophets had predicted would happen. And then we take up our story in verse 13. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Do you notice here that The word order, child and his mother, that's reversed from what we normally say, isn't it? We normally say mother and child. But it says child and his mother because we're meant to, it highlights God's focus on protecting this child. That is what God is focused on. Protecting this child, he sovereignly acts to preserve his son, the hope of the world. So he got up, verse 14. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, 
out of Egypt I called my son. Remember in the Old Testament, the great rescue of God was to rescue his people, his son Israel, from Pharaoh's wrath. Now he rescues Jesus from Herod's wrath. Next verse. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Herod is enraged and his paranoid megalomania leads him to do the unthinkable. He becomes the butcher of Bethlehem. This is an artist's impression of what it may have looked like, the, the sheer terror of the mothers as these soldiers come in after their sons. Herod only knows the approximate time from the Magi. And so he decides, I'll have all the male infants born in that approximate time frame just to cover my bases and make sure I get Jesus. Historians estimate that Bethlehem had a population probably of about a thousand, uh, which means they probably had about 20 to 30 plus baby boys, less than two, two and under. And he slaughters them all. To you and I, these, uh, these deaths are just horrific atrocities. We'll just get rid of that slide, thank you. To you and I, these deaths were a horrific atrocity. But to Herod, this was what was required to maintain power. For him, this is what was needed, I'll do it. We need to feel the weight of this event, don't we? Why didn't God save the other baby boys of Bethlehem? Have you ever thought that question to yourself? Why was Joseph the only father to get a warning from heaven. Surely if an angel had been sent to any of the other fathers and mothers, wouldn't they also have got up and taken their children and escaped? Why were they not given the same opportunity? Why did God allow these baby boys of Bethlehem to be butchered? It's a question that weighs heavily on me and my understanding of theology and of God. Have you thought that question to yourself before? Well, murder, bloodshed, tyranny, they are part of the human experience, aren't they? Right now. Ukraine, right now. There is great evil in our world and we have to label it as evil because that's what it is. Now, when we ask people, where does evil come from? Many people say, well, it comes from outside of us it's it comes from the unjust structures in society it's it's the system some people say well evil comes just from a, a minority of evil wicked people not from hard-working decent people like you and me it comes from one group that oppresses the rest of us you know the ruling elite that oppresses the working class or uh, the rich and powerful like Herod or the patriarchy, that's who's to blame. And they say, if we can overthrow this power group and set the victimized free, then evil will be defeated and goodness will flourish. But we know this is demonstrably untrue in human history, don't we? 
Because whenever the old power group is removed, overthrown, the new power group turns out to be just as corrupt. And this is because the scriptures tell us that evil is not something outside of us. Evil is within every one of us. It runs through every human heart. And so there will come a day when God will rid the world of all evil, Judgment Day. But if he was to rid the world of all evil and sin before Judgment Day, he would have to rid the world of everyone. And so God is patient and he's kind and he's delaying the final judgment so people can turn to him and be saved. The flip side of that is that he allows evil and sin to continue until then. And that's why we see the atrocities carrying on in our world. You see, where is the true king is the most disturbing question to the human heart. Because we want at all costs to remain on the throne of our lives, don't we? In every heart, there's a little King Herod that wants to rule. And it rises up, doesn't it, when there are, uh, when there are minor threats to our, our rule. It rises up to some degree. But Jesus claimed to be king over people's lives triggers deep resistance within them. See, if you want to be king of your life and Jesus says he's king of your life, then there's going to be conflict. Now, some people reject Jesus' rule by shaking their fist at God, loudly proclaiming there is no God, giving God the forks. Other people, well, they're more polite. They'll just ignore God. Just as rebellious, but more polite. And there are others that reject God but still want to have some veneer of spirituality, of, of morality. Thomas Nagel is a philosopher and he says this, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, it's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is this cosmic authority problem is not rare. At least he's honest. Tim Keller, a uh, pastor in the United States, he says that this little Herod doesn't actually go away even when you become a Christian. Look at what he says. There is still a little King Herod inside you, even as a Christian. It means you have got to be far more intentional about Christian growth, about prayer and about accountability to other people to overcome your bad habits. You can't just glide through the Christian life. There is something in you that fights it. But despite the tears of the Bethlehem mothers, all is not lost. Because Jesus the Savior has escaped Herod. And so... The hope promised by God is about to be realized. In verse 19, we read, After Herod died. After Herod died. Now, the, the Jewish historian Josephus gives us an account of Herod's death, and it is a shocking account of his death. His death was an agonizing death. His symptoms were intense itching, Intestinal distress, foul discharges, burning fever, convulsions, and maggot-infested gangrene. 
I've got a picture of that. No, I don't really. <laughs> now, now, I wouldn't wish this upon anyone. Right? I wouldn't wish this upon anyone. But it goes to show you that for all Herod's might and power, the one who plotted against God's Messiah, this king of Edom, who tried to kill the king of Israel, who tried to kill the Messiah, for all his might and power, in the end he died an ignominious death and is a mere blip on the pages of history. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and scoffs at the Herods of this world, both the big Herods and the little Herods. Because all big Herods and little Herods will face God in judgment. We'll keep reading verse 19. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. God, remember, brought his son Israel out of Egypt. Now he brings his son Jesus out of Egypt. And if you read through Matthew, you'll see again and again that Jesus repeats the story of Israel. The word is recapitulates. He recapitulates the story of Israel. Why does he do that? Well, it's not attributed to coincidence. Jesus ultimately fulfills these biblical patterns of Israel and brings them their ultimate significance. He succeeds where Israel fails, right? Israel, Israel fails in the desert. Jesus succeeds against temptation in the desert. Throughout Matthew, you see that. And it's through Jesus' obedience that he lives a sinless life. And so when he dies on the cross, he can sacrifice his sinless life for our sinful humanity and he can give us his righteousness. That's why he repeats the history of Israel and you'll see it again and again through Matthew. Verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Archelaus's reputation for cruelty was greater than that even of his father Herod, if you can believe that. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So, again, divine intervention. He gets sent a, given a dream and he settles in the north in Nazareth where there was another Herod ruling, but it was perceived he wouldn't be so much of a threat. Now, Nazareth was a despised place. It was the armpit of Israel. Those from the capital looked down their noses at anyone that lived in the backwaters of Nazareth. And later on, if you remember, Christians were called the Nazarene sect, which was a derogatory term, like calling someone a redneck or a hick. Why did the king of kings come from the backwaters of Nazareth? Well, the prophets, remember, promised that, predicted that this 
king of kings would not come with the pomp and ceremony of an earthly king, but he would come as the suffering servant. And him coming from the backwaters of Nazareth, it tells us about the nature of God's salvation. You see, throughout Jesus' life, the disciples keep asking Jesus, when are you going to rise to power and save the world? And what did Jesus say? You don't understand. I must lose power and die in order to save the world. That's why at the climax of Jesus' life, he doesn't go straight to the throne. He goes first to the cross where he deals with your sin, my sin. He deals with the evil of the world. And if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian and you want to put your faith in Christ, today is the day to do it. Christ died to pay for your sins. It doesn't matter if you've been on the paid staff of hell. It doesn't matter if your life would leave a black mark on a piece of coal. It doesn't matter what deep, dark secrets you have in your past. It doesn't matter how badly you've messed up. If you trust in Jesus' death for you, if you turn from your sin and you put Jesus on the throne of your life, you will be saved. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about salvation. We're not to make the same, make, the same mistake as Herod did. If the Son of God really was born in a manger as the King of Kings, then we really have lost the right to be in charge of our lives, haven't we? On your chair is a sheet of paper. It should be, I don't see one on every chair, but there should be one in arm's reach. If you could take it, it's got a little crown on the front and a blank on the back. If you could take one of those, it should be near enough to be able to grab it. If you turn to, oh, if you turn to the back, which is blank, you might want to take a pencil out. If I asked you to write down on this blank piece of paper how you have lived with Jesus as your king in the last year, 2022, if you had to write down how you've lived with Jesus as your king and how perhaps you failed to live with Jesus as your king, how would you go? What would it look like? For some of us, it would look great. I know some of us in this, in this church live with God as their king every day. For some of us, it wouldn't look so flash. But we've got an opportunity to turn that around. If you literally turn your piece of paper around, you'll see a crown there depicting the king. And I want to give you a couple of minutes just to write down a few things that you might want to do this year to serve Jesus as your king. And I want you to actually write it down and I want you to take it home with you and I want you to uh, reflect on it. I want you to add to it. I want you to keep yourself accountable. I want you to take it to Bible study and keep others accountable. How will you live with Jesus as your king? Because what does your king demand of you? Everything. And what will it cost you to follow your king? Your life. He is everything or he is nothing. And I want to ask, who is on the throne of your life? And so I, I do actually want to give you a minute or two to do that right now as uh, we finish up. I'll pray in a minute or so. 
I want you to jot down a few things, maybe large areas of your life, maybe there's a specific thing that you want to work on. We have an opportunity to turn things around because Christmas is about salvation, it's about forgiveness and it's about living with your past wiped clean, living with Jesus as your king. And it's a question I ask myself almost every day, who is on the throne of my life? Is it me or is it the king of kings? Please take that with you and pray over it. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Christmas story. Father, I just pray for each one of us. Lord, the reality is we do have a little Herod that wants to rise up and take charge of our lives. And we need to be deliberate. We need to be intentional to quash that little Herod down. And Father, I just pray that we would put you put the Lord Jesus as the king on, our, on the throne of our lives. What do you demand of us? Everything. What will it cost us to follow you? Our lives. You are everything. And we want to put you on the throne of our lives. For those of you who are here tonight and you haven't yet put Jesus on the throne of your life, you have not yet had your sins forgiven. Come to the Lord tonight. The Lord will hear your prayer. It doesn't matter if your life would leave a black mark on a piece of coal. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Lord Jesus will forgive it. Why don't you say a prayer to him right now? Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for being on the throne of my life where you should be I now put you on the throne if you've prayed for that prayer for the first time please come and see me I'd love to talk to you about it let someone know Amen you stand and sing this with us
Father, I just pray for each person here tonight that you would bless them. I pray, Lord, that the month of December would be a beautiful time of reflection as they look through the devotionals, as they focus on the Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you might give us increased desire to live for you as our King that would show itself in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See you next week.